through the book of Zechariah, the, the prophecy here of Zechariah, or his a record of what God had spoken to him, or the, how God was using him for his glory. And uh, one of the things that I want to, to point out to you as we get to Zechariah chapter 11, you know, we're in the midst of rebuilding the temple. And so in the midst of rebuilding the temple, uh, which we feel like is priority, uh, God begins to talk about being a good shepherd, being the shepherd, and how um, God wants to use Zechariah as a symbol, as a uh, as something to put the put on display so that the world can see, particularly uh, the Israelites, so they can see who God is. God has done this a number of times with his prophets uh, in the Old Testament. If you think about, Z- about the prophet Jeremiah, a crazy thing happens with him. Uh, he's put on display, and it was so awkward. He had to walk around naked for a while. And so, uh, so I mean, it's just awkward that God would use these uh, prophets as a symbol. Think about Hosea. Uh, Hosea was um, supposed to, as a prophet, represent God and God's relationship with the Israelites. And so God uh, ask or commands Hosea go and marry a prostitute, and and then you will you will know what it feels like for me, God, to be married to to the Israelites. It's almost like me buying a prostitute to to be uh, to be married to, and so Hosea gets to be this representative or this symbol of God's relationship with His people. And then we get to Zechariah chapter eleven. And we see God commanding Zechariah to go and be a shepherd. Go and be a shepherd to these people and see what it feels like for me to be a shepherd to my people, to the people belonging to me. See how they, see how they treat you as a shepherd. And what we're going to see is, and kind of the title of today's message is that, that Zechariah represents Jesus and represents these two things, rejected and betrayed. Because Zechariah and Jesus being these good shepherds, Jesus being the greatest or the goodest shepherd, uh, represents this betrayal and this rejection that the people give towards him. So I want you to think just for a moment here this morning, kind of theme for your thoughts this morning, hopefully they're going to be directed towards who is it or what is it that is shepherding your life or your soul or your heart? What is it that's leading you in the the way that you are going in life? I know that you don't think of it this way, but have you ever thought of banks as being a sheep pen? You, you go there and you put your money in there and all your possessions, and especially those prized ones you put in their vault, and you hope that it's safe and secure and that even as it's in the bank, that the things that, are, that you've put in there will gain interest so that you can uh, have a, a better life because of the things that you place in there. And then when you go to the bank, to the actual bank building, to, uh, to draw funds out or put more funds in or whatever the case may be, I know you don't think of yourself as a sheep going to the sheep pen. Well, I'm going to the sheep pen and the bank president is my shepherd. But I think for a moment, is money shepherding your life or maybe it's some other type of security that you live your whole entire life being shepherded by something that's safe something that's comfortable something that's secure whatever you're finding those those things in you're allowing those things to shepherd you ted tripp is a author and psychologist christian counselor wrote a book uh, titled shepherding a child's heart and really how parenting is about this that you begin to recognize in your child's heart what it is that's capturing them what's what is it that's capturing their heart what are the feelings or the thoughts or the things that are capturing their heart and then you as the parent your responsibility is to shepherd them to let them know don't drink that water don't go to that place Don't do those things because those things are going to lead to idol worship. Those things are going to cause you, they're going to capture your heart. 
They're shepherding you in a way they're going to capture your heart so that when you're old, those idols are the things that you, that you worship. In the same sense, as adults, Christ is, Christ is the one that's supposed to be shepherding us if He is Lord of our life. And yet, most of our time is spent in other sheep pens, letting other shepherds shepherd us and lead us and guide us. And unfortunately, those false shepherds and those false systems and those false, those false sheep pens are not guiding us or leading us in the correct direction. A shepherd leads and leads well, leads from the beginning or from the front of the herd. Hey, herd, follow me. Follow me in the direction that, that I want you to go. Maybe they have a staff or a rod and they're leading in that direction. Follow me. You know who's from behind pushing? A butcher. A butcher pushes sheep into the pen so that the butcher can slaughter the sheep. A shepherd doesn't lead sheep to slaughter. He knows better. She knows better. Instead, a a shepherd leads well. In fact, Jesus says in John 10 that he is the good shepherd and he lays his life down for his sheep. Unlike a butcher who's pushing you and directing you and saying, get over there and poking and prodding you and whipping you to get into this place of slaughter for his own benefit, Jesus says, I will die in your place. Instead of you going to slaughter, I will go slaughter for you. Not because someone's forcing me, not because there's someone behind me pushing me, poking and prodding me, but because I love you this much that I will go in your place. And this is the goodest or the greatest shepherd. And that's who we're talking about this morning as we see Zechariah, this symbolic shepherd. Ultimately, he is representing Jesus in this, in this passage. Jesus, or God is using him to represent things current, but also things that are going to happen in Jesus' time, 500 years uh, later, and then also in our time today and the future. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Well, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has failed. The sound of the well of the shepherds for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. So in this moment, we have three different types of trees. We have a cedar tree, a cypress tree, and an oak tree, representing these great leaders they're, they're put on display. They're visible. See these cedars. See these cypress trees. See these oak trees that are leading out. Look at them. They're falling down. Well, these leaders who, are, who have uh, been put in place maybe have messed up. They're in ruins. They're falling down. They're failing. And so we're in need of something or someone else to come in and lead us. Why are they failing? Well, verse 3 kind of uh, gives us that picture. The sound of the, of the well of the shepherds for their glory is ruined. It seemed in this moment that these false shepherds or these false leaders were leading for their own glory. Uh, J.R. Vassar wrote a great book called Glory Hunger. That we all struggle with this. That we want glory for ourselves. We want glory for the things that we accomplish. We want the, we want the rewards for the things that we're doing in life. And so even with these uh, somewhat godly shepherds, These godly leaders, they became false shepherds, false leaders, false prophets, false preachers, false false leaders. And the fact that they were seeking their own glory, living for 
themselves. And I would say just as a reminder this morning, anyone that you're listening to or reading, that you can catch just a moment of that it's all about them, stop following them. Stop reading them. If their message is only about them and the things that they've accomplished, even for myself, kick me out. It is not about me. Church, we belong to Jesus. We exist for Him. He has purchased us with His blood. And so because of that, we, we are His slaves. He is Lord over us. He is our master. And it's for him and for him alone that all glory should go to. So if it's a teacher at your house, if it's a preacher on the stage here, if it's a Sunday school teacher, if it's a Wednesday night teacher, and all you hear is, I did this, or I did this, or I accomplished this, you say it's, for, it's not for your glory. It's all about Jesus. And if it is about your glory, let's kick, let's kick you out. And that sounds harsh, and I know some of you are going to have to really deal with that. Verse 4 says this, Thus says the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Remember one of the points we made, uh, these common themes in the prophets and minor, major prophets and minor prophets, is this inevitable judgment of sin. That sin leads to death. That, that if you're judged with sin, that your sin has not been removed, or you haven't been pardoned from your sin, judgment says that it leads to death. And so God says, hey, Zechariah, I want you to go. I want you to become a shepherd. And I want you to shepherd this flock that's doomed to slaughter. Because of their actions, because of what they've been following, because of what they've been taught, or the systems that they're a part of, they're doomed for slaughter. Man, how many of you want to be a part of that? Hey, we want you to move to a, a new job, a new work, a, a new place, a new town, a new country or something. And we want you to go and be a leader in this. We want you to lead people. But just so you know, all those people that you're leading are, are doomed to death. So have fun with that. So that's kind of where we are with Zechariah. God says, go become a shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. So we know in this moment, again, that he's working as a symbol, as a representative, as something that's great, something greater that's going to happen. Verse 5 says this, Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord. We're talking about some false prophets here, some false leaders Some folks who are using things of this world, particularly people, for their own gain. Some false teachers who are using people for their own gain, but but putting it under the umbrella of the Lord. Saying, well, the Lord has blessed this. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm using these people and they're they're doomed for slaughter, but look what I'm gaining and, and blessed be the name of the Lord. We see this. There's many on the TV. There's many on the radio. There's great books that are, are bestsellers in our world today that represent some of this in this passage. That they're shepherds or teachers or leaders or preachers or, or self-proclaimed prophets who are using people for their own glory, their own their own wealth, their own blessedness, and putting it under the umbrella of blessed be the Lord. We have to be great discerners. We have to say, what can we put in place to check and say, are these people actually from God? Verse 5 says this again, those who buy them, slaughter them, and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord. I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. So we have this this kind of uh, depressing moment. This moment where uh, this flock that seems to belong to the Lord is being led astray by false leaders or false shepherds. Verse 6 says this, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. We know that God is a 
patient God. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are impressed. He may know his ways to, to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Great characteristics, attributes of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 9 of Psalm 103, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. So we should take a great refuge in who our God is, and these characteristics of what He's done, what He's doing, what He's going to do. But we should have a, a, a godly fear of Him, knowing that yes, He is patient, but He will not always be patient. He will not always keep His wrath. He will not always keep His anger from or, or not always in this particular case, not always have pity, but instead he will act according to the way that he needs to to act. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So it seems like in the, th- the theme in this particular uh, part of this chapter... Zechariah is representing a, sh- a shepherd to go and fl- uh, shepherd the flock of the people belonging to God. But the people belonging to God, for whatever reason, have rejected and betrayed God, have rejected his ways, his teaching, have forgotten about his characteristics or his attributes, have begun trusting in other things, worthless things, being led astray by false teachers or false shepherds. And so with that, rejected the teachings of the Lord and betrayed the covenant between them and the Lord. And so because of that, God is saying, I will no longer have pity on them. I'm going to break covenant with them, so to speak. Because of their rebellion, because of their, uh, because of their betrayal, because of their rejection, I will no longer stand here just watching this go unpunished, but instead I'm going to act upon this. So verse 7 begins with, so I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, and the other I named Union. So picture Zachariah, however you want to picture him. I kind of picture him with a great-looking beard, kind of partially black, partially white, you know, a little bit of a belly, maybe he's got two, or whatever. You, you just pick up whatever kind of picture you want. And here's Zechariah, this prophet belonging to the Lord, and he's going to go shepherd these these people who belonged to the Lord at some point, but then have rejected and betrayed God, have been led astray by God. And so Zechariah goes with these cool little banners, these two staffs that have these banners on it saying good things, godly things, hopeful things. Here's favor. Here's union. Two great things. I mean, who doesn't want favor? Who doesn't want union? Favor means kindness or pleasantness or delight. It represents God's covenant with the people. Here's favor. You have favor in God's eyes. He loves you. He's righteous, and you are not, yet he wants you to be righteous, so he's going to give you his righteousness. So don't reject this. Here's favor. God has favor uh, in your, in your, for you. And then union. In this particular case, this union represented the unity or the union or the brotherhood between northern Israel and Judah. This uh, lack of, I mean, we didn't, we're not having it in this case. There's no civil wars going between the two. But instead, there's going to be unity or union among God's people. Is that, some, is that not something that we desire still today? Don't we want God's favor in our life? 
Don't we want unity within our church even? We're longing for these things. Verse 7 again. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favorum and the other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. He did what a shepherd does. He went out to tend to the flock that belongs to the Lord. Though they are doomed to be slaughtered, he goes with two staffs, favor and union, goes to lead the sheep in the way that they should go. He does exactly what a shepherd should do. And in one month, verse 8 says this, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. So there's a period there. So let's talk about who these three shepherds may be. There's about 40 different ideas on who, who, these, who these three shepherds are. I think probably the, the, the best, um, symbol, most symbolic uh, way to describe these shepherds, uh, the thing that, that fits most in Scripture, um, it, it probably represents prophets, priests, and kings. Throughout history, we see prophets becoming false, trusting in their own words, leading people astray. We see the same with priests, uh, no longer uh, doing the acts of God, but instead trusting in their own kids even, and, uh, and going against what God has uh, declared to do. We've seen kings. God anointed them, and yet they live for themselves. They need to be removed from office. And so most likely in this symbolic sense, when, when Zechariah says in just one month, in just one month, he destroyed the three shepherds. It's probably a symbolic representation of the kings of Israel, the prophets of Israel, the priests of Israel, who are all who, who, the ones that were false. Micah Free says this, the kings of Israel turned away from the living God and started following after idols. The priests of Israel stopped being holy men of God and started abusing the people. The prophets of Israel stopped being God's spokesmen and started saying things that just, just to please the people and the kings. And so with that, they needed to be removed from office so that the good shepherd could be put in place, so that the one who is going to fulfill prophet, priest, king, all those things, particularly Jesus, could be put in place to be the greatest, or again, the goodest shepherd of all. Verse 8 again. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So Zechariah acting on behalf of the sheep, acting on behalf of the people, removed the false teachers. He removed the false shepherds. The men who were leading them astray, Zechariah comes in and removes them, destroys them. And how do the people respond? With rejection. They also detested me. Though he's doing works of godliness, there's a prophet belonging to God, from God, the people the people still rejected or detested this good shepherd. Verse 9 says this, So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. Can you imagine, Lee and I were talking about this just a moment ago, uh, if, if you let cattle or sheep or pigs or eight-year-old boys uh, not be ruled over, uh, it just takes like a short time for them to come wild. You know, you, you walk out of the bedroom and you, you go in the next morning. And you're like, what happened? I just gave you instructions last night and you're already back to a, a ravaging little wolf here. What's going on? You're just eight years old. The same with cattle or sheep or whatever the case may be. If you're not constantly in relationship with them, what will happen? If they don't have a shepherd, if they don't have someone guiding them and leading them, they'll start living for themselves and become, and become vicious, vicious animals. And this is what's happening. We're seeing this. 
Zechariah says, you know what? I wanted to be your shepherd, but I've lost patience. I've, I've given you what is good. I've led you in the direction that you should go. But here's my response. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. We see this playing, being played out in the future with Jesus. Here I came to save. Here I came to make, make things right, make things whole. And you still rejected me, despised me. You're not, you're not letting me f- uh, lead you. Instead, you're, you're wanting me to follow, follow you. And so I think in a, in a sense there, there will be a day that things will be destroyed. That those who do not belong to Christ will be separated eternally from Him. That there will be a day that there will be judgment for sin. That God's wrath will be poured out upon this. So in the meantime, we as the people belonging to Him should say, God, lead me. Break my heart. Use chisels. Mold me and shape me into your way. Let you truly be the shepherd of my life. Let me not be shaped by the things of this world or the people of this world, but instead let me be shaped completely by you and you alone. Verse 10 says this, And I took my staff, favor, and I broke it. Remember, this favor represents God's covenant with His people. And here Zechariah symbolically is breaking, smashing, destroying favor. And I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. Verse 11, so it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching with me knew that it was the word of the Lord. I mean, here's this crazy moment where the banners that were lifted up from this good shepherd Zechariah These banners that were lifted up saying favor and union are broken because of rejection, because of betrayal, because of rebellion, because of sin, because of people wanting to lead their own own lives. And so we're in need of of a good shepherd to come and shepherd our hearts, shepherd our lives. We're in need of people who say Christ is Lord of their life and truly believe and allow Him to be Lord of their life. Verse 12 says this, Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. So here's Zechariah again being this symbol of a shepherd, being the symbol of the shepherd who are, who's given the task of shepherding God's people. He grows impatient. He breaks favor. He breaks union. These banners that were put on display representing God and His favor and His union, His faithfulness to the people, they were broken. And so Zechariah ends this little section by saying, Hey, you know what, to the people, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. Give me my severance pay. You don't want to be led by me. You don't want to be led by God. You don't want to be led by the good shepherd. So you know what, I'm done. So just give me my, give me my wages. Give me my severance pay. But if not, then keep them. And so what did the people do? They weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Maybe you recognize this from the scenario, the scene with Jesus as Judas betrays him. And he receives in his betrayal and his rejection of Jesus, Judas receives 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. In Exodus 31 or 21 verse 32 it says that this 30 pieces of silver is the same amount of silver that you would give to someone a slave owner whose slave has been injured and can no longer work. So maybe the scenario is this. You have a place that you're farming and you have slaves that you own and your neighbor has a place that he's farming and he has slaves that 
he owns and your oxen with huge horns gets out of control because he's a vicious animal and your oxen goes on a rampage and tears off across your field and ends up in your neighbor's, neighbor's field. And while he's in your neighbor's field, he gourds or hits, knocks over one of your neighbor's slaves. And so that slave is now out of commission for the rest of his life. He can no longer work because his injuries were so bad that he can no longer work. The infliction, the pain, the suffering that he's gone through, he can no longer work for his master. And so what do you do? So the master from that field and the master who you are, you come together and you have this conversation. What are we going to do? Your your oxen or your bull destroyed one of my slaves, and so I need payment for that. So what are you going to do? Well, normal pay is 60 pieces of silver for a normal slave, but because your slave is lame, because your slave can't do anything, I'll just give you 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. This is what they gave to Zechariah. Zechariah, who faithfully served, who led as a good shepherd, who did the things that were right, who removed false prophets, false teachers, false systems, and led them in the way everlasting. Their payment for him for the work that he did, for God sending him to do those things, was 30 pieces of silver. Basically, they were saying, Zechariah, you're worthless. You're worthless to us. We will only pay you as much as we would pay an injured slave. Put it in the context of Judas. The, the money that he's receiving for Jesus, the good shepherd. He betrayed, he rejected Christ. The teachings that he had, the teachings that he left, he rejected the way of life that Christ gave to him. He rejected the, the promises that Christ declared to him. And instead he received in payment something that's worthless. The worthless 30 pieces of silver. When we reject the good shepherd, Jesus, the alternative always is to follow a shepherd who will hurt us. I mean, think about it this morning. Again, who is it? Or what is it that's shepherding your life or your soul or your heart? I think about the coins that we have. We engrave on those coins in God we trust. But how often we trust more in those coins than in the God who we engraved on that coin. We allow the coins to shepherd our lives instead of, the God, instead of God shepherding our lives. The same with Judas. Those 30 pieces of silver coins. He allowed those things to shepherd his life, to lead him in the way everlasting, which actually led him to death. Think about the shepherds who have taught you. They've taught you great things. They've taught you how to love self, how to protect, how to seek comfort, how to control things. And how has this affected your daily relationship, particularly your relationship with Jesus? You see that blood money? that Judas received and the blood money that was given to Zechariah, it was cast back. What does it say? It was cast back. Zechariah in verse 13 says this, Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. The lordly price at which I was priced by them, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Judas does the same thing. Years later, he takes that 30 pieces of silver. Now he's under conviction. He's saying maybe Jesus is who he says he is. And I've rejected and I've betrayed him. Now I feel guilty about that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go and try to give this back to the high priest. And the high priest say, what does this have to do with us? Well, I need forgiveness. Well, we don't care. We're not. We're, we're the high priest. Yeah, but that's, that's on you, Judas. And so he throws the money back into the temple. And he goes out and he hangs himself. And then they use that 30 pieces of silver to buy the potter's field. 
as a memorial, so to speak, of what shepherded Judas's heart. Rejection and betrayal. He'd rather give up his Lord and Savior. He'd rather give up the good shepherd instead of allowing him to shape his life. Trusting in Jesus, not trusting in Jesus, but trusting in himself, his own experiences, his own thoughts, his own feelings. So this prophecy here in verse 13 is fulfilled in Jesus and, in Jesus and Judas. Verse 14 then goes on to say, Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And no longer is there unity among, among God's people. Until Jesus, the great shepherd, comes into play and comes upon this earth and conquers death and removes sin and gives opportunity for unity and peace to happen again. And maybe greater than that, what Jesus has accomplished and has completed now gives opportunity for humans to find favor in God again. Look at this, verse uh, chapter 10. For me, it's just the next page here. Chapter 10, verse 8 says this. Talking about Jesus as the good shepherd, he says, I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. Think about our good shepherd, Jesus. Think about him whistling, like a shepherd would do, calling out to his, calling out to his flock. John chapter 10 says that he speaks and Because he's the good shepherd, his flock hears his voice and responds to it as if he was whistling to them and they responded to his whistle. Church, believer, saint, whatever you want to call yourself this morning, Christian, follower of Jesus, are there parts of your life that Jesus symbolically right now is whistling towards, saying, yeah, you've given me this to shepherd, but I want your whole life to shape and to mold. When they threw those, Judges chapter 17 talks about this too, but when they threw, when they threw those pieces, when, when Judas threw those pieces of silver back into the temple, to the potter, symbolically what we're saying is, melt that silver down and shape it into something. Judges chapter 17, uh, there's this crazy little story of these 1,100 silver coins that they received. They, they kind of grabbed back and they said, now I'm going to take this to the potter and I'm going to have the potter melt it down so we can form an idol to worship, from an idol to worship, rejecting and betraying God, and instead worshiping things of the world. And I think Jesus is still whistling. I think he's still calling out. He hasn't returned for the second time. We're still in, can, can be in right relationship with him because of the completed work that he's done. We can still have favor in God's eyes and unity with him and others because of his son Jesus. And I would say this this morning, I want to end with this. I would say that if Jesus is whistling today, here's what it sounds like. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard they shall understand. Who has believed that he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, a small branch 
like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Yet he was despised, and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as, with, as one from whom men hide their faces. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Can you hear him whistling? He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought, that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all.